I, I used to have a tendency to do this a lot and it kind of came back last time we were playing, but I hit a lot of my wedges fat mm. sometimes. I shouldn't say a lot, but I mean, it happened to me, what, maybe like three times in that round, maybe four times. And it's like, I used to have a really bad tendency to do that. And for some reason, it just came back last time we were playing. And like, especially on that last hold for that, on that, when I hit that quad, I was like so frustrated. Oh I had, yeah. I had two wedges fat on the last hole. I was like, I'm not sure where that came from. So maybe, maybe that's where you can start and help help me, please. <laughs> I, you know, I didn't even like take a second to look at your stance and setup and stuff because I remember you doing it on what, like hole five too? You're right in the middle of fairway. Um, let's Four. see. I can't remember which one five was, but I did do it early in the round. I ended with it a couple and then I also did it on the par five, like, 13th or 14th somewhere in there i did it on one too oh and yeah that, and that was frustrating because i was sitting in a good spot in two up the hill yep yeah one. and those are killers man yeah, yeah they hurt no, yeah they really hurt yeah fat's tough it, it kind of depends on you swing up pretty shallow so i'd be interested to know maybe the ball's creeping a little forward on you like too far forward in my stance yeah because you want to compress though the ball on yeah you know wedges so sliding it back maybe a little bit and then yeah just find the bottom of your swing you mm-hmm. could be you could be shifting your weight a little bit if you shift back onto your right side, then let's say my club's right in the middle right now, right? Set down. But if I shift, the club comes backward. Now, if I don't shift completely back onto my left, it stays behind the ball. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So if you stay here and maybe you just turn, then like your center stays here. But if you kind of sway back, sense. you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So that's a huge thing I see with people chunking or hitting them thin is yeah. the sway. Interesting. Other than the turn. Super interesting. Yeah, I tend to hit the ball very high too with my irons. Like when I click an iron, it's like, I mean, it's it moonshot. Like yeah. it skyrockets. And so I'd be curious why I do that too. I don't know if I'm getting like too much wrist action in there, not hitting down on the ball enough or something. No, you what. can pack your irons pretty nice. You create some loft. Yeah, it's, it's the angle of attack Yeah, and, and the impact spot. But I love the way your ball like goes high and spins dude I'll, yeah well i appreciate that very much yeah. but yeah when i like when I, when my irons are clicking they feel good it feels really good i hit just a baby fade right into the green it lands softly um but you know it's not, it only happens sometimes it's <laughs> controllable too though right yeah. yep like yeah. very controllable when you hit that shot so i think you like trying to hit a low shot like having your stock high one but then also having the low shot like when you need into the wind right yeah That'd be interesting. Because like on that part three, where you hit the high pitching wedge, yep. and then I tried to sling a pitching wedge in there, like we both missed, but I feel like that shot is like a low slinger. Yep. Try to start, because mine carried a little further and then rolled back a little bit. But playing, trying to hit a high wedge, like you're just guessing into the wind, to where I had like an idea where mine was going to land. For sure. Right? Yeah, for sure. Well, especially, I think, isn't there something, too, when you fade the ball, it tends to get caught up more in the breeze, just based on the way that it's spinning. I think that's a thing. Oh, yeah. Side spin. So, like, when you hit a slice with a driver, or anything for a right-handed player that's moving left to right has kind of a side back spin. Yep. To where if you hit a draw, it has the more power top spin. Yep. It's like, how I really like to talk about this is ping pong. You ping pong guy? Mm-hmm. A, little, a little bit. I mean, I try to be. Yeah. When I play, you know, I'm a competitive guy, so. <laughs> yeah, but like you played and stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, like, if you're hitting, like, a little, you're kind of swiping across a ping pong shot, and it's got, like, the cut shot. For sure. It's like a weaker shot, but it really spins short. Mm-hmm. So that's, like, your slice. That's the same type of spin. Now, if you're, like, hitting, uh, you know, a hard, like, serve or you want to spike one, you kind of hit that turnover yeah. shot coming down. And that's more of, like, an outer swing, right? You're kind mm-hmm. of swinging out and turning it down. Mm-hmm. And that's more of like the draw type power shot spin. Yeah, it makes sense. 
That makes sense. And when someone's hitting like slices and they can't figure out a cut, there's different things we can do with their body and feel with the swing. But I like to just conceptually put it in their head. All right, think that more ping pong, you got to swing out and kind of turn it over rather than swinging across it. That makes sense. Yeah, it takes me back to my kicking days too, back when I was a kicker, because when you the idea is that like when you hit field goals and extra points and you're kicking off the turf like that you almost want this baby fade to get the ball up quicker but for kickoffs you actually want your miss to be like a power draw of sorts because if a kickoff hangs in the air too much you're kind of giving them too much time it's gonna be too short whereas like a power draw is kind of what you're looking for um i forget who i learned that from i think i learned that from a kicking coach way back in the day um we're like you want your miss on the kickoff to be a kind of a power draw, and you want your miss on a field goal to be like a power fade almost. It's kind of interesting, yeah. That makes a lot of sense, though, because yeah. on on a shorter shot, like you would want more control. On a field goal, if you miss, you want it to be a little bit more tighter with a little bit more control. Mm-hmm. Or if like the power draw is a little bit harder to control, but again, if someone's trying to field it, mm-hmm. it's going to be harder to field if it's coming in hot yeah, yeah, exactly. with that turn. Yeah, exactly. Yep, no doubt. It makes a lot of sense. Dude, kicking is... I can't believe you're kicked. Like, I feel like that's such a hard position. Yeah, I mean, it was fun. I mean, I had a blast with it. Um, I definitely, like, I definitely wasn't, you know, the best kicker, you know. I kind of struggled throughout college a little bit to perfect my my field goal swing, my, like, my extra point swing coming off the turf. So I kind of found my niche in the in the kickoff role, um, you know, just hitting the ball, hitting the shit out of the ball, trying yeah. to kick it as, as far as I can and, um, you know, running down, trying to make a tackle or something. So that was kind of, that was where I found my role. And, and I really enjoyed it, you know, being a part of the kickoff unit. Um, I kind of took pride in that and, and performed it to the best of my ability. But, but yeah, being kicker is tough. You know, I was watching college football yesterday and some freshman kicker went out and like missed his first field goal attempt ever. It was like a 27 yard kick. And it's just like, I just felt for him, you know, oh. cause I'm like, I've been there, I've been there. I've struggled in the biggest of spotlights. You know, I, I think it was like my sophomore year we were playing St. John's where I got pulled, I got benched, you know, that was like crushing to me. So like, I've been there. I have felt that pain as a kicker. Um, but then similarly, like I think back to, to, to highs that I've felt from it, you know, like making the kick, making the big kick, um, being, because you are, you're kind of the center of attention. You get the blame, you get the, you get the, the the celebration though. You get the pride as well. And it's like, so it's a tough position to be in, but it's, it's a fun one. I'm happy I did it. learned a lot from it. So it was a blast. Yeah. I mean, kickoff for you is like the perfect position because you're such an athlete to where we just get another <laughs> athlete on the field and yeah. you got a strong legs. So you can just rip it. I appreciate that. Yeah. yeah I, I loved, I loved it, dude. I loved ripping one and, and running down, trying to make a play. Yeah. Um, it, it was a blast. Was but a blast. also like, I don't think people understand for like field goal kicking, like you'll watch a game on Saturday and someone will miss an easy kick and then you'll like look at your buddy, like, oh, he sucks. And you'll like laugh and then that's it. But you don't understand, like, that miss. The kickers only get so many opportunities. And that weighs on them so much. And coaches make so much decision. And, like, yeah, it could just such so huge for, like, one play or two plays. Yeah, it's tough. You know, the guy misses the kick. He goes up to the sideline. The camera's zoomed in on him. And he's, like, stone-faced, like, stoic. And, like, I, I know because I've been in that position. Like, I know what's going on internally. Like, I know that pain that he's feeling yeah. from missing a kick. And it's, like, it weighs on everybody differently. You know, I personally, like it's probably one of the biggest struggles I've had in my life is like being too um, radical in my emotions, being too roller coaster, you know, feeling the highs too much, feeling the lows too much. Um, And so that's definitely something that I learned through kicking to kind of perfect and almost like, 
you know, stay in the middle per se. Mm. Um, but so I've been there, like I've been there. I see that guy on the sideline, the camera zooming in. It's like, I feel his pain. Um, and, and, you know, you just pray that he goes out there next time, bounces back and drills a 50 yarder or something cool. And I'm like, and he's got the smile back on his face and like, it's tough. Yeah. It's a tough position. And again, it's like, it's motivational. I'm sure. Cause then you're like, Oh, now I'm going to go to work and all that stuff. But I, I feel like no matter the preparation or the confidence you have in your life, like it's just one of those situations where you have to be able to perform under pressure. Yeah. And like, how do you do that? How do you get better at that? By just doing it, right? Yeah. And and it's really tough. You know, that makes me like think of some really cool topics I think we're going to dive into later kind of in the golf world. How like as a kicker, you know, you want to build this repetitive motion. You want to build this this consistent motion in your swing. You know, you want to be able to repeat this this your kicking motion so that way every time the ball is coming off your foot identical 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 um but at the same time like based on the environment that you're kicking in based on the situation that you're kicking in based on the wind direction the field the opponent based on all of these different little things it's going to cause your your kicking motion to be different, whether that's like a subconscious thing or whether you actually feel that difference. And so trying to trying to build a kicking motion that is both consistent as well as adaptable is something that that really has started clicking for me later. Now, after I'm past my kicking days, as I'm working with football athletes and other athletes and, and golfers and stuff like that, is trying to to build a, a a golf a golf swing a kicking motion whatever it might be that is repetitive and consistent but at the same time it's adaptable and you're mm. building dexterity and you are building a motion that that can deal with all the different environments that you're going to be placed into within the sporting context that you are involved in yes well let's here let's get into it we're going to start yeah, with that question let, let's do it let's do it <laughs> but for those who don't know car so today hey the focus of this podcast and what we want to do is we're going to dive into golf swing we're going to dive into mechanics we're going to dive into coaching um we're going to make you know have a better understanding of golf fitness how we can get better power and speed i mean carter is a big time fitness trainer um you know carter why don't you tell people you know what kind of what you're doing and what you're up to yeah, yeah. So I, I'm a strength coach in the Minneapolis area. I graduated from St. Thomas in May of 2019. Um, you know, got a lot of history. I've been an avid golfer for since I was like 13, 14 years old. Got a passion for the sport of golf, dude. It, it burns inside of me like no other. Um, it's something that's always been around yes. ever since I started playing. Um, you know, I played football in college, but like the, the, I don't get any sort of enjoyment out of any sport like I do from golf. Like golf is my thing. Um, I'm not great by any means, you know, I'm a mid eighties golfer. I would love to improve that. And I try to improve that every season, but you know, like, like we were talking about a little bit earlier before the podcast, like it's tough in Minnesota. We play for three months out of the year and then you kind of get this like whatever nine month recovery. Um, so, so it's tough, but uh, but I'm trying to work on it, trying to perfect it. Um, so yes, I'm an avid golfer, but I'm a strength coach in the Minneapolis area. Work with a lot of sports. Work with uh, football athletes, probably primarily so up till now. I uh, also work with some baseball athletes. Love working with, working with golfers. Um, those are probably the primary three sports that I focus on. But I mean, I'm open to working with sports from all over the place, man. I love working with athletes. Love helping them achieve their goals. Helping them, helping build them up. You know, as more than athletes. You know, a big approach that I take to strength and conditioning is building a holistic athlete and that means that 
looking at them as a person first and an athlete second. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're only going to reach your your maximum potential as an athlete if everything else before that athletic ability is in order. If your psychological mm-hmm. and mental health and well-being is in order, if your nutrition, your hydration, if your sleep is in order, if if your technical capabilities within the sport is in order, you know, all of these things that that come before your athletic abilities are going to be more important to me than than the physical training aspect of it. Um, and I think that's, you know, it's important distinction to make. And it's like, well, I call myself a strength coach, but at the end of the day, like strength coaches need to understand that, that our goal is to get you better at your sport. And if that means that we need to prioritize like the way that you sleep or your healthy lifestyle right now first, then we need to, to do so if that's going to make you better at your sport. Mm -hmm. Um, so that, yeah, so that's about where I'm at. I mean, I mean, I love what I do. I love working with athletes. Um, and I just, I really appreciate you having me on today, man. Yeah, man, there's, I mean, I love everything you said there and just diving into the nutrition and making a holistic approach. That's what I missed during school. So to have someone like that in my corner, you know, there's people, but I didn't really fully embrace it until after and the power of what you're saying, building up that person, I think is so important. So you know, connecting with people and, and just not focusing on strength training. Although what you do with mobility and some of the stuff I follow, I love your content when it comes to training and it's awesome and we'll dive into it. Yeah. But yeah, for sure. I think keeping the people first is something that I'm really passionate about too with golf instruction, just, you know, the podcast, everything. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, like as you work with your golf athletes, I'm sure there's, there's a similar thing where it's like, you know, you're working with this, this maybe 40 year old golfer and it's like, he wants to get better at golfing. But at the same time, he's sleeping four hours a night. He doesn't eat very well. Mm. He doesn't hydrate. He sits at his desk for nine hours a day. And it's like, you play golf twice a week. It's like, how can you expect your 92 to drop to 82 when it's like you are not prioritizing all of these other things? It's like, you can come work with me as a golf coach. I will help work on your swing. I will help perfect your swing. But at the end of the day, if like if we're not doing all of these other things, making this swing fix isn't going to to be the the differentiating factor yep you can only be so good at that point yep right and before we do dive into it one more thing i think it's so cool so carter's a uh what is it account what do you do for your day job uh, so i'm an accountant right now accountant. I'm, a, I'm a cpa accountant CPA. I, I graduated um I graduated from my undergrad with a degree in accounting um and then i minored in exercise science so it was kind of through and it's actually a funny story. So, so I went into college wanting to be an accountant. I, I don't know if I should say wanting to be an accountant, but that was just kind of where I felt. I was good with numbers. I was good with math. I kind of thought business was was the direction that I was going to take. And as I got more into my coursework, I was like, oh, I'm pretty good at this accounting thing. So I just I started going into that and didn't really give it too much thought um, until... I I met with my advisor who was like, hey, in order to sit for your CPA at some point in the future, you need 150 credits. You need 150 course hours. And the the curriculum that I was going through only got me to like 132. So I was like, okay, well, how am I going to fill this last 18? How am I going to fill this last 20 credits? And so fortunately, St. Thomas had a minor in exercise science that was like 24 credits. I was like, this is perfect. This is money. Let's do it. Um, And so... And so that's what I did. And by that point, I already had a pretty good relationship with a couple of the exercise science professors um, because I remember one day I was like, I was just like walking through the the like department and I walked into one of their offices and I was just like, hey, 
like what's going on around here? Like, well, what's going on? Because I've always been passionate about training. I've always been passionate about fitness. Um, you know, my dad was our strength coach in high school. And so that's always been a passion of mine. But I just, I never fully realized that there was, there's a career path, that there is there is a, a, a livelihood out there in this realm of the world until I took up that minor in exercise science and I started diving into coursework, building relationships with my professors. You know, I, I, I had an internship under our strength coaches at, at St. Thomas and, and I've had since had a couple more internships. And it's just, it's been this kind of compounding thing of like, of understanding more and more, like there's a world out there outside of accounting and like, this is the world for me. And so now I've just been working on, on building, building experiences, building knowledge in the strength conditioning world. And, and, you know, it's almost, almost time to kind of make that transition full time into the strength conditioning world. And I'm so, I'm so thrilled about it. This is what I wanted to get into is like, you just said, you know, in a couple of weeks, you're taking the full dive out of accounting to start training. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Some, sometime soon, you know, I, sometime soon um whether it's a couple of weeks or, or maybe like a month down the road or so but it'll it'll come eventually for me i know it will it's just about finding the right opportunity that kind of it takes me takes me over that dive like you know allows me to take that dive out of it um because like i'm so grateful for my current job like i love my current job i perform it to the absolute best of my abilities and and i i'm grateful for the company and, and everything that they've given me so you know i I owe them my everything at this moment in time while on the side kind of trying to build up this resume and build up experiences and knowledge and stuff like that. And then eventually when that opportunity presents itself, like, like we're going for it. Hmm. I love it, man. It's going to be fun when you, when you really dive because I see your passion for it. Yeah. So I'm excited it. when it's full-time Coach Carter. Yeah, I love it, man. I absolutely love it. I can't wait. All right, dude. Well, let's dive into it. And um, I want to just quick start with asking you a question. And it's something that I talk to a lot of my, you know, friends and you know people I work with about is there's a lot of great golfers who don't train. There are a lot of great golfers who don't lift. Um, I believe that there, you know, is a lot of benefits to it. You know, so I'm guessing my first question to you is from the outside. What do you, you know? Is there a real need for training in golfers? You know, what are the advantages and you know, what may be some disadvantages? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I guess I, first and foremost, I obviously am going to say that like, yes, there, there are clear advantages to it. There is a need for it. Um, and maybe that's just me being a strength coach and me being biased, you know, maybe that's me wanting to have a job in the future, whatever it might be, you know what I mean? But like, but yeah, there's absolutely a need for it. And you know, you do look at guys in, on the PGA tour these days that appear to not train like they don't take their their athletic abilities and their physical fitness um as a priority however i would kind of make the argument that like that they are outliers and they kind of have made it based on their their talents and their natural abilities and i would also say that like it's tough to know maybe they are doing something on the on the outside like we don't see everything that goes on right um and then I would point to like looking at the world golf rankings. If you look at like who's at the top, kind of there is like there is a changing, there is a transition in golf right now occurring, and I think we're in the middle of it. Where it's like, I mean, Dustin Johnson, JT, John Rahm, um, Brooks, Bryson, like Ricky Fowler, guys that have taken a priority of their physical fitness and their training. And, and it's showing in their results and where they're ending up. I know like Rory McIlroy posts all the time about, about training. And I mean, like, dude, he's one of the best in the world right now. And so I think we're in the middle of this like transition period where 
the physical fitness and the athletic abilities in golf are starting to are starting to become more of a priority in the sport. And it's really awesome to see. It's really cool. Um, Bryson, what he's oh, doing. It's unreal. It's unreal what he's doing. I know, I know he didn't end the year very well this year, but like the hype that he brought in and just, just the passion that he puts towards improving his craft and trying to find a winning edge is unreal. And mm. I love watching it. Love watching it. Um, but it's also important, I think, going back to your question, that we realize that like the the ideal athlete of a golfer is gonna look very different than the ideal athlete like in football. Mm. You know what I mean? Like so often we see the term athlete and, and what do we think of? Well, we think of broad shoulders, you know, we think of like chiseled abs and like quads popping out of your shorts and like stuff like that. The Tiger Woods in his prime. Exactly. Biceps popping. Exactly. And it's like, and I think we need to realize and take a step back and realize that like the sport of golf doesn't necessarily call for that type of athlete. Like the sport of golf calls for being elastic. It calls for having these rotational abilities and being mobile, mobile in the correct places. It calls for building this rotational power, which isn't quite the same in, in terms of like a middle linebacker who's getting hit and in, in the middle of like some sort of contact situation on a hundred plays on game day or something like that. Mm. You know what I mean? And so it's important that we realize that it, it's separate. Like an, ath- an athlete in the golf world is different than an athlete in other sports. Um, and, and I just want to point to that. Like, yeah, go for it. I think the ideal athlete in my mind in golf is somebody like Dustin or Rory. They've built super strong lower bodies. And you can tell they have upper body strength, but they're not super bulky. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying you can't be bulky like Brooks and stuff. I mean, it works. But like that... Those guys have so much mobility. A guy like Dustin has so much range of motion, but he, you can tell he's a ton of strength. Yeah. So that is somebody, I mean, is there ever a perfect athlete? I don't think so. I mean, we all have our unique skills, but to point back, I think that's more towards what, what would be an ideal looking golf athlete, you know, rather than like the, like we were saying, more chiseled. Like yeah, the, no doubt. I mean, you look at guys like, like JT too. I mean, unreal strong in his lower body. Like he posts all the time, you know, his trainer, Joey D, I think it is, or whoever, and they post all the time pictures of him doing these these compound based strength movements and he's unreal strong in his lower body and you know it's a relative strength it's not like he's not back squatting 550 pounds but like he's hex bar deadlifting 275 like he's hex bar deadlifting 315 it's like it's like he's strong Mm. he's strong in the lower body and being able to create that force and transfer it up the kinetic chain in an efficient way is is what leads to his 330 yard drives like it's unreal it's unreal um but, but anyway, going back to your question, um, you know, and I kind of talked about this earlier too, is like, we need to think about, about strength and conditioning and, and building ath like physical athletes as just simply a piece of the puzzle. Like, like we need to think about, it's a very small piece of the puzzle. It's a small, but important piece of the puzzle. You know, it can't come before psychological and mental health. It can't come before technical abilities you know if you don't have an efficient golf swing if you don't have the technical capabilities on the actual golf course all the amount of athletic ability that you build in the weight room is for none like it does not matter so like we need to like priority number one should be to play golf like you need to play golf like that is first and foremost like like if you're like you said like is there a need for physical training there is a need for it but it needs to compound upon your 
your golf game, like playing golf. If you're missing practice rounds because you're going to hit the gym, like that's not okay. Like yeah. we need to adapt that program as something that's going to fit with your schedule, with your with your game in a better way. And this is where my story is so unique, I think, because I came into golf more from the training side. Like I had more of the training. I had a lot of physical abilities. Like I'm able to hit the ball far and do a lot of the physical things. And I didn't have the golf, you know, train the practice hours, all the hours that everyone's put in uh, that I compete against. And you can tell, like. I'm able to hit some of these shots, but then I can't do the basic, you know, golf field. Like I can't bring an eight iron back and hit a 145 little punch shot controlled, or I don't have the controlled three iron off the tee every time when I need it when it's a tight course. Mm-hmm. Or the mental ability to know, okay, there's some wind down here. I got a jumper lie. There's a pin in the back. Sure, you could try to hammer an eight iron, but maybe you know a little cut seven is the play. So, like you're saying, I think the ability to play the game of golf and understand golf is such more of a focus than adding the ability of having power and, you know, some of these strength, like things that can boost your game, but it can't be the focus. Yep. Yeah. A hundred percent. And, and your story is unreal, dude. I love hearing about your story about how like you didn't even start up the game until, or like really dive into the game until like after you were done with playing football. I mean, you were like, what, maybe 22 years old at that point. It's like, it's like now all of a sudden you're sitting here like three, four years later and it's like, damn near scratch golf right it's like it's so cool to see it's really it's like inspiring for guys like me who are out here like shooting eight mid 80s trying to work up you know it's it's inspiring dude and it's fun and and what i try to do is like you know the process the journey of the first few years were so enjoyable and it's still golf is still fun but once you get to a level like my handicap last year was a 0.8 so i got basically to scratch and it's like now to reach the next level it's there's so much I feel like the game has become so much more mental with decision-making. Now, there's a lot of technical things I can get better at, basically all my parts of my game, but like making the right decisions, being under pressure in tournaments, like hitting the right type of shots, making the smart. That's where you, I see these guys lapping me in the field. Mm-hmm. Now, I, they also hit their irons super close. These guys are just dialed with their irons and wedges. But understanding the actual game of golf is now where it's like become such a pressure. In the process of you know going from a 95 you know, shooting 95 every time, not doing like, that's so fun. I mean, mm-hmm. you just practice, you go and you get better and you learn things. You pick this up, this swing tip, this swing tip. Oh, that doesn't work for me. Like I, I went and played with great golfers and I understand, Oh, why'd they do that? Oh, that's mm-hmm. interesting. Like, so you got to enjoy the journey, man, but yeah. it, it's been so fun. Yeah, no, dude, it's absolutely awesome. I love hearing about your story. It's so cool. Um, but, but going back to your original question of kind of like, of like still kind of going on, like, is there a need for it? Like, like, yeah, there is a need for it, and it's going to compound your golf game. You know, first and foremost, if we look at it just from, like, a level of, like, physical fitness and, like, overall health and wellness, like, being a healthy individual is going to transfer to a better golf game. Mm. Like, if you are a healthy and living a good, healthy, active lifestyle, your golf game is going to see benefits. You know, I said it earlier. If your nutrition, hydration, sleep is poor, you sit at a desk for nine hours and then go play 18 holes – like no you're not going to be at your pinnacle of of your golf game it's just not going to happen um but then like once we have all that healthy and active lifestyle now we can dig deeper and we can say that like okay how can we now use strength power force production all of these deeper uh things in the strength conditioning world to then compound upon our Mm -hmm. golf game and so then we can look at it from like a 
perspective of health and performance. And from the performance perspective, it's like, well, how can we teach our body to create super high levels of force? How can we transfer this force? You know, how can we how can we build our kinetic chain to move force through our bodies efficiently? And how can that transfer transfer to our golf game? Um, from a perspective of health, it's like, well, how can we achieve proper mobility in certain joints to avoid compensations and stuff like that? Um, you know, from a health perspective, that's probably something that almost fires me up more than the performance side. Um, you know, like it's awesome to see a guy crush 320 yard drives and like perform to his highest potential, no doubt. But it is more crushing for me to see somebody who like can't enjoy the game because he's injured. Mm. Like it is crushing to me. I have such a passion for this game where it's like, if I reach out to somebody and say, Hey, you want to go play 18 and he can't because he's got a nagging lower back. He's got a nagging knee or like something isn't right. Like that crushes me because golf is such a fun sport. It's something I'm passionate about. It brings people together. And so from the, I mean, I guess just look at like you and me, dude, like, like we, we played football. What was that? When did you graduate from college? Like 2015? Yeah, 16. I did one extra semester. Okay, gotcha. And so then, so I didn't graduate until 2019. Um, so we, we essentially like, like weren't really like, like we weren't back and forth. Like we were following each other on social media. Like I was seeing your story, like seeing what's all going on. All of a sudden it's like four years later. It's like, Hey, you want to go play 18? And it's like, it just brings people together, dude. Yes. It's so awesome. Um, Hold on, I gotta piggyback off your health thing real quick because yeah, this is such an important you know subject to me. My dad has nagging back pain all the time, and he hasn't been able to really play golf with me for the last year or two. The other day we went out for eighteen, and his back held up, and we played. I gave him thirteen shots every nine, and we had this most competitive match, and it was just an app. This is the most fun four hours I've had with my dad in a long time. Yeah. So like you're saying, the importance of health is we could always like to enjoy that with my dad was so special for me. And then also personally, the whole first year I got into the golf business, my back hurt every day. I would go and train, you know, my shoulders hurt when I trained. And like if I ever lifted heavy, even deadlift, my back hurt. And I it, it killed my game. I wasn't able to do things. So the health, like you're talking about, correct training as we'll get into to prevent injuries. That stuff is monumental. Doing pliability, you know, doing the right recovery. Mm -hmm. It allows me now to where I rarely ever feel pain and I can go work all day on my feet. I can give lessons all day in the sun. I can go play golf and I can wake up a day the next day and do it again to where my old routine in college, I'd be out for three days after that. Yeah. So the importance of these things, like you said, building a healthy lifestyle outside is, is vital if you want to maximize your training and your ability on the course. Yeah, exactly. And then as you get more into it, it's like we can, you can dig even deeper and say like, well, how can strength training help with my overall like health and performance well like there's so many different avenues we could take between looking at a proper strength training program enhancing your mobility which is going to eliminate compensations like throughout the kinetic chain we can look i mean there was one really cool research study that i looked at um that essentially it correlated limited front side internal hip rotation with lower back pain and so what this means is that like on the follow through, on the downswing and follow through, if you've limited front side internal hip rotation, your back, your lower back is being forced to compensate for that. And so you're putting torsional load on your back. And so if we know this ahead of time and we can get ahead of the game and try and prevent some of these things. Now, 
we need to be careful with the word prevent because so many people use the term like injury prevention. And it's like, we can't prevent all injuries, um, but we can limit them and we can do things to help you achieve longevity in the game of golf um, through our physical training, through our, 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 our just building an overall athletic base to go along, to take along with your, your golf game. Mm. Um, and so it's just really powerful, man. I love diving into this stuff. Well, that study you mentioned with the foot opening up the foot then, and that, helped mm-hmm. the golfers with more mobility yep yep so you know in a perfect world and this is where Titleist performance institute tpi helps people you know train their body better but in a perfect world i could go to a lesson and i could talk to someone and be like okay we're gonna do hip mobility work here's a prescription come see me back in you know two weeks and do these exercises every day now how many people are actually going to do that i don't know so what we can do as a golf coach is say okay flare your toes out a little bit open up your toes just you know a couple, you know, 10 degrees, 15 degrees, and that's going to allow you to move. Uh, you're going to be able to turn more. Mm-hmm. You know, your hips are going to be a little bit more open. You're going to have a little more mobility. That's a crutch, right? In a perfect world, we wouldn't need to do that because we have the proper range of motion in our hips. Yeah. But those are just things in golf, you know, we make those decisions quickly just to help, you know, hopefully mitigate some of the, you know, the pain in the swing. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really interesting point is because, because you're absolutely right. Like, that's something that we need to look at because like by, by just slightly counter turning that front foot counterclockwise 20 degrees, it's like we give our hips more freedom of motion to turn. Um, but at the same time, like we need to realize like, this is a, this is a compensation. Like, like you said, this is a crotch. Like, like at the end of the day, is it the ideal way to do it? No, we should probably do it this other way, but like we need to adjust and adapt our golf swings in order to fit uh, who we're working with. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's really important. And that's absolutely something that that was actually kind of something I wanted to dive down with you today. Um, and maybe now would be a good time to do that. But Let's go. Es- essentially, you know, um, I- I've been doing I wrote I wrote recently about mathematical chaos theory. Are you, f- are you familiar with that at all? I'm not. E- essentially, essentially, like mathematical chaos theory states that within these within systems, there is a lot of chaos. There's a lot of disorder. But amongst that disorder, there's underlying foundations and there's underlying principles and there's underlying order amongst this disorder. And so like one way that I relate it to is, is the golf swing. And it's like, if we look at everybody's golf swing, everybody swings so differently. I mean, mm-hmm. Dustin Johnson and Ricky Fowler are, it's unreal, the difference in their swings. I mean, Matthew Wolf, shoot, I love watching that guy, but like his swing is so different than Dustin Johnson's. And it's like, um, we need to understand that like amongst this, what appears kind of random and disordered in the golf swing, everybody swings differently. Everybody has these individual differences. There is an underlying foundation. There are underlying similarities. There are underlying principles that are helping these guys reach the PGA level. And these are the differentiating factors between Roy McIlroy swinging at 120 miles an hour and me swinging at, you know, 102 or whatever I'm at. Yeah. Um, and so, and so that's something that I've been diving down and trying to think about is like, how can we relate chaos theory to all these different sports? Because I think there's, there's a relation there. I mean, everything is kind of like this chaos system that we need to, to balance the order and disorder and understand deeper what's going on. And so, and so essentially my question for you is like, as you're working with golf athletes, how do you balance, how do you differentiate between simply an individual difference, something that 
that this athlete's going to do because of his anatomical body, because of his way of golfing Mm -hmm. versus something that needs to be fixed versus one of those underlying principles. That's like, that's like, no, like this, this kind of needs to be fixed. We can't just chalk it up as an individual difference. Do you get what I'm saying? Absolutely. So foundational principles, like there's definitely similarities in all those swings. Now, Dustin and Ricky swing a lot differently, but they both shallow the shaft. They rotate in similar ways. They deliver the club on their path. Uh, the club faces in a similar position, you know, depending on the shot they're trying to hit. But there are definitely foundational principles that are the same. Like you take Matthew Wolf's swing and you put it next to, let's say, Rory. They look completely different on the outside, but you, you know, zoom it in and go slow motion on the downswing. They might shallow it into similar positions and the club comes through at the same time. So there's definitely foundational principles and ball flight laws that we we can look at and draw upon and kind of always hang our head back on. But everyone is different. And I'm not like an expert teacher or anything, but I, I love learning about this. And I've seen so many different swings now in the last four years of just consistently looking and trying to understand the golf swing to where what do you actually want to attack when you're with somebody? And understanding that person is so important. So understanding, you know, how much effort is this person going to put in? Are they going to practice three times a week? You know, do they have the desire to work on their mobility and change things? Do they have the mental capabilities to really understand this and like focus on making these changes? Can they physically move their shoulder this way? So there's so many different ways to do it. And then you just kind of get a vibe of like, what can I change? Um, A lot of people probably could use significant drastic changes to get into positions, especially amateurs. But again, you have to figure out what we're going to do. So we usually start with little fixes. And then I like to explain things to them. Like, hey, this is where your club is. This is what I'm seeing. Let's talk about this. Do you think you could feel this? Is this too weird? Is this something that, you know, is going to work for you going forward? And then you just make little adjustments to stance and stuff. But you got to find the feels that work for them. And then you got to, you know, really find how Jurassic going to be. Because for me personally, I went through like a two and a half year swing change, consistently changing my swing. And to get a shallow shaft, it took me two years of trying all these different things. People say, feel this, swing that way, you know. And for me, finally, bowing my wrist and feeling like the club's dropping out of the sky, like straight down, is what did it for me. And it was just like, you know, I picked up 15 different tips over those 20 years. I had lessons and stuff, but then finally this feel worked for me and now it's in that position, Mm -hmm. you know? So, oh man, getting into this is so interesting, but I think uh, there's foundational principles, like you said, the mathematical chaos, is that the theory? Yep. And it's the foundational principle, but then there's so much chaos on top of it with the different types of swings Mm -hmm. that we got to find a way to get to the foundation. Mm, Interesting. Interesting. So... So one thing that that one path that that leads me down, kind of what you mentioned is like is is teaching and explaining to these athletes and your golfers. Um, uh, one thing one thing that that I've become very um, very popular or like one thing that I've enjoyed doing with my athletes this past summer. No, you know this summer I primarily worked with like football athletes, and so the sport of football and golf they're very different. They're very different. But one thing that I did a lot with my athletes is I. I let them mold their own movement solutions. You know what I mean? So I allowed them the freedom and the the ability to essentially create their own movement. Like I, I didn't want to tell them, hey, do this next time. 
um, for this drill, I didn't say, hey, let's get a lower shin angle here when we're cutting. Like, I didn't want to tell them these things. I want to essentially give them an environment and allow them to explore that environment and feel it for themselves. Like I want them to come to the, their solutions by themselves. Yes. And I think that's that's very important in, in the athletic development world. And that was something that I wrote about recently and I called it like direction versus discovery. And on one hand, we have direction and I almost compared it to like, I, I use the anal- or analogy of like teachers and I said, like, teacher A is is the direction side of things. You know, um, she's going to give you a rubric that's going to tell you exactly step by step how we need to complete this project. Teacher B is going to be on the dis- discovery side of things. And she's simply going to tell you and say, like, hey, this is the goal. This is the objective. Here are the constraints that I'm putting on it. And like, it's up to you to now go use your creativity, navigate the situation and come up with some sort of output or come up with some sort of solution to this. And as a student looking at these two teachers, it's like, it's very easy to get frustrated with teacher B. You know, I think back to like when I was a student and I was absolutely the kind of guy that like needs this rubric. I need to kind of be like babied through the, through the project. Like, like I need to be carried and led because I wasn't like a super creative student coming up and like, and then if you relate to like the football world and now guaranteed, like I was a kicker. So like I didn't have the, a huge toolbox of movement solutions to draw upon, but like in practice or in training, you know, with under coach Stuart Bourne, like we would start implementing some of these environments and some of these like solution based learning environments. Whereas essentially, you know, he would like give an athlete a ball and he would say like, all right, you got to go make a move on this guy and try to get by him. Or we would play like t-shirt tag and he would simply say like, okay, the goal is to not get your, your, your flag pulled or your t-shirt pulled and you're trying to pull other people's t-shirts. And it's like, how can you form your own movement solutions to navigate these problems? And that was something that I really struggled with because I simply didn't have it in my toolbox. I didn't have the solutions in my toolbox. Um, and so, and so getting back to this analogy, it's like people will get frustrated with teacher B even though teacher B like like is leading you down the right path like like she is creating long-term learning by allowing giving you the environment and allowing you to mold your own solution um, teacher B is just simply giving you like a short term learning. Yes. Like the moment the project's over, it's like, you're going to kind of move on. Whereas teacher B is allowing you to, to learn things about yourself and be creative and create your own solutions. And so, and so getting back to the golf swing now in the golf game, it's like, it's tough because on one hand, as a golf coach, like you need to help these guys reach positions that they probably aren't very familiar with. And so it's like, how do you as a coach kind of balance this gray area or balance this spectrum where it's like, on one hand, I like, I need you to turn your hips faster. Like I need you to get your hips through the ball, but I would love it if it wasn't me telling you to get your hips through the ball. Do you get what I'm saying? Absolutely. This is awesome. And I think there's a place for this direction, the teacher a, and I think that's more in the gym and very technical sessions. But in general, I'm a big teacher B kind of guy, and I think that's the way that most teaching should happen because we need to create athletes that are master of their own game. Like a coach should be there to help you, support you, and create, you know, have a person to bounce ideas off, you know, give inputs, give ideas. But the athlete needs to be the master. 
So when I, whenever I see an athlete and meet and start working with them or even a person, I'm like, listen, the point of this whole thing is for you to learn some insights from me, get some ideas, get some different feelings, but you need to fully be in control of those thoughts and understand what we're doing so you can be the master and understand. And then if it goes haywire again, you can come back and we'll, we'll work through it and figure something out, but you need to understand everything. So I love teacher B. And that actually, like the teacher A type mentality really bothered me with St. Thomas football because I feel like I'm a freedom. I, I love route running. Route running is like my jam. I, I was obsessed with it. And there's a certain amount of freedom that needs to be involved in route running. And at St. Thomas, like don't get me wrong, I really love St. Thomas football, but it was so specific, direct, directed. Like there was one game, I ran a comeback at 18 and a half yards and Coach Crusoe like drew a thing on the line. It was like at 18 yards. He's like, we run 18 yard comebacks. I'm like, dude, I'm, you know, I'm wide open. The guy flew because there's a certain feeling when you're taking your steps, like you feel the DB, the flow that he's in, you know, how much have I broke the cushion, you know, maybe a half extra step of speed to like come back and create separation. And the play worked out, but he like drew it at 18. I was like, that is just so specific to me to mm-hmm. where like create some constraints, create a time frame. And I get it. Like he wants perfect timing on the comebacks. Like I get, I understand the principle of it, mm-hmm. but like the teacher be more of creating these constraints is allows freedom for these people, for people like me to use my ability to, you know, make plays. Exactly. Yeah. So hold, hold on. Sorry. One yeah. more. And we can get into that. But one more thing. So in the golf swing now, t- back to golf teaching, uh, teacher B, this is perfect. This is how I do a lot of the training. So you have, you have a person they're swinging over the top. You know, they're coming over the top of their swing and they're hitting across the ball. Very common hitting the slice. So when they get up to the top of their swing, they're coming over to the left and it goes across their swing, across the ball, over the top. So what I like to say is imagine there's a table here. We're putting out like a dinner table in front of you. Okay. And what you have to do in this dinner table is when you get up to the top of the swing, now you have to swing under the dinner table. So we put out a dinner table. You can't chop down on top. So if you come down and hit the top of the dinner table, you fail. So what you have to do in your swing, you have to drop the club down and swing under the table. And then also just say, and then the ball has to go left. You can't hit it right, just hit it left. Or hit it right, depending on where it's been flying for the day. So there's the two constraints. Swing under the table. Now, they might be like, oh, I definitely swung under the table, and they didn't. It's still mm-hmm. over top. I'd just be like, oh, no, that wasn't it. Let's try again. So you give them this responsibility, and they feel, and then they'll, and then when they get it, you know, I'm not like, hey, did you move your elbow underneath? Did you flex your your wrist this amount of degrees, you know, did you move your shoulder? It's like, no, I just did it. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, that's really interesting. That's an awesome example, actually. Awesome example. And I think that's an important distinction we make, you know, um, we're in the middle of working on this article, like this two-part article that we're writing about, and it gets super into the weeds of like muscle activity in the golf swing and like what's going on at individual joints during the backswing and the downswing and the follow-through and all this other stuff. And developing this foundation of knowledge in the golf swing is very important. Like it's important that you as a golf coach and that me as a strength coach understand what's going on in the golf swing on each individual part, which muscles are being stretched, which muscles are contracting, which joints are being put under a lot of pressure, under a lot of torsional load, under a lot of stress. It's important that we understand these things. But at the end of the day, understanding these things and then coaching our athletes are two very different things. And, and I think that's in a very important distinction to make, you know what I mean? Like, like in part one of this article, like we talk about like, um, the X factor stretch, which is like a huge part of the golf swing and developing like that, that difference in our, 
in our shoulder thoracic spine turn and our hip turn placing huge amounts of stretch on the lead side obliques and like core musculature mm. front side posterior mu- shoulder musculature all these other things but understanding that the x-factor stretch is a thing seeing it in the golf swing is very different than coaching a player to achieve it to a greater degree like if you want some guy to increase club bed speed and you want to get obtain a greater x-factor stretch you're not going to even mention the term x-factor stretch like you're not even going to say that you're going to say hey we got to get a bigger shoulder turn away from the ball or you're going to say like like okay we need to limit our hip turn away from the ball because that was actually that was something that was really interesting to me diving into the golf swing a little more um was how the hips actually don't rotate back much in the backswing it's actually really interesting it's because you see it after you after i say this and you go watch a golf swing it's very obvious that it's there but it's like the hips don't really rotate away from the ball much at all it's all in your upper body your torso your thoracic spine that's rotating away from the ball and this creates a huge stretch on that front side that we're loading to then explode through the golf ball on a downswing um and so as a side note, that was just something really interesting well, to me. And I just really, yeah, side note with the hips, it's crazy because you watch Rory do it and his hips barely move. I mean, they barely turn. But then D, like Dustin Johnson, his hips open pretty crazy. Mm-hmm. He's pretty much facing the other way. So again, million ways to do it, but not a ton either way. Not like a crazy amount comparative mm-hmm. to the front spoon because they all spin them yeah, through. It, no, it's, it's wild. And I, I forget where we were at talking about that. Oh, one other thing I wanted to mention there is you talked about becoming a master of the game. And this is something that that Coach Austin Yoakum talks a lot about is becoming a master of the game first and foremost. And it just goes back to kind of that idea of like, of like we need to prioritize playing golf. Like Mm -hmm. strength and all this stuff that we're talking about is important, but we need to prioritize playing golf, like for sure. Yeah, and there's just so much, you know, and that's where like we were talking earlier, a lot of these professional athletes you were talking about environments you know we need to create a repeatable consistent golf swing but then we also need to have the adaptability for certain environments and you know find the balance between that and that's why i think a lot of these pros are so good is because they've been put in these environments since they were kids most of them grew up on golf courses you know so they've been in these pressure situations they've been in the environments and they've learned that adaptability and then they get the repeatability of the motion like there's you know there's thousands and thousands of people in the world that have a super repeatable amazing golf and that can sit on the driving range and stripe shots over and over but to be able to understand situations hit a ball when it's downhill off a rough see a flyer you know no one to hit this shot then and then have the talent to be able to pull them off and all these different you know variable rain and weather and all of it it's it's so impressive yeah and that's interesting because that's something that i wanted to dive down today um with you is that kind of that transition between practice and play and how you help your athletes make that transition. Because um, like one guy that I think of is like my dad. He, I, I love the guy. I got to give him a quick shout out. He's uh, so he's probably like what, like 54 years old. Um, he's a beast. He's, he's fit as they come and he's so competitive, but he's never been able to really make the turn on his golf swing and, and perform to a level that he's happy with. Um, but finally this summer he took a deep dive and he started playing a ton and he got his scores down from like from like mid 50s on 9 all the way down to like mid 40s. He even had like a 42 a couple of days ago. He sent me a picture hey. of the scorecard. Yeah, dude, so he's a bit I I'm so proud of like how much he's dove into the sport this summer. Um but nonetheless, nonetheless, so he's a prime example because we will be on the practice range before the round and 
he'll like be striping a driver, like right down the middle. All of a sudden, we get on the first tee box, and you, you you get the narrower fairway, and you get some water on the left, and it's like these pressures compound, and it's like all of a sudden, all that work that happened on the practice range, it, it disappears. And it's like, why is that? Where does it go? Like, what can we do as coaches to maybe like make that practice range session more inept or more applicable to the actual round of golf? Mm. Like, what can we do as coaches to build this sort of like like pressure into practice or give them the adaptability to to make transfer that practice to play? This is awesome. This is a CG golf special here. But uh, block practice and random practice. There's some great things we can do, and we're going to get into it. But just going off what you said. So I'm in a tournament. This was a month ago. It's up north at the Pines. One of my least favorite courses in it because it's so tight. I mean, tree-lined everywhere. Both sides tree-lined. And if you hit the ball out of balance, we're not playing like fun golf with your buddies where you just go drop it. Like You hit another tee shot. So I was playing with two really good golfers. And one of them shot high 90s because there was multiple times where they hit a shot a little offline, couldn't find it, hit another shot a little offline, and now they're hitting five off the tee box. It's yeah. like, oh my God. So I'm sitting on the range. I get on my two iron, one of my favorite clubs, and I, I hit my first couple left on my range practice, just a little bit left. And then I hit five, just striped them. I mean, as good as I can hit, you know, draws down the middle. And I'm sitting on I'm feeling sweet. I'm like, yo, you guys see it? Come on. You know, I, I'm really feeling myself. I'm having fun with it. Anyway, and so then we get to the first tee. You know, it's a little tight. There's wind coming off the left. I'm like, All right, here we go. And I hit my first two iron. Block it straight right. I mean, 40 yards, 30, 40 yards right of my target. Now, luckily, it hit a tree and fell down. It was in bounds. But like... I didn't hit that shot one time on the driving range, right? Not Mm -hmm. once. Mm -hmm. But then you go out and you change the environment and you put some pressure on the shot and and things change. Mm -hmm. So that's where like golf training and practice is so interesting. And going back to how we start training there, I think number one, you just put yourself in the situation. You go play more. You put yourself under pressure. You always play for something. You've got to put some sort of competitive edge on it. You have to have some sort of game going on, whether it's money, fun. There's got to be something on the line to put yourself in that stressful environment. Hmm. And that's an environment I put myself in. When I went to Arizona and Florida and met a lot of these people, I would play with all the good pros around. Like I, I got fortunate to play with some guys who are really close to making it on tour, and I would just bet them. You know, $30, $40, we'd play matches. I lost almost all of the time, <laughs> right? But putting myself in that environment, understanding what I'm good at or like what are some of my advantages? You know, what can I play with them with and what do I really need to work on? And then where I struggle under pressure, it was invaluable. You know what I mean? Yeah. So getting in those situations is huge. Yeah. No, that's really interesting. And the only thing the only thing I'll piggyback off of that is is and it kind of goes back to that point of like one thing that we did with our football athletes this summer is we tried to give them environments and competitive environments that that tried to symbolize the football field actually you know so like so we were giving them a ball we were allowing them to play almost like ultimate frisbee with the football it forced them to make their own decisions and be creative and make moves on the defender um and try and read the defense find find gaps like find space um the defender was trying to remove space and and so we were trying to put them in environments that that will hopefully in an ideal world transfer better to the football field when it comes time to actually play the sport. And now relating that to the golf world, I think you're absolutely right. Like 
it, it probably just comes down to putting yourself in the situation more. Like it really truly does. And it's like, as much as, as much time as we put on the practice range, I don't want to say it doesn't matter because it does like the reps matter. But at the end of the day, the environment is different when you actually get on the tee box, when you're actually hitting a seven iron into a green with water on the right, like it's different. Um, and one thing, one, uh, one strength coach that I really respect was telling me one time, and, and he's very big on, on building movement solutions and trying to build adaptable athletes to, to different situations. And one thing that he told me one time was that he was working with an NFL athlete and he had a training session. And the way that he simply built pressure in the training session was he invited his family to come watch. All of a sudden, can you imagine like you're training with your coach and your family sitting there front and center, like watching your every move. And he said that the training session was poor. Like it was like he was, he was uncomfortable. Like he was making some poor moves. He was moving at an intensity, like way higher than anything that he, he ever used to do. He felt like uncomfortable. And this uncomfortability is very important to, to developing as, as an athlete, as any sport. Um, that uncomfortability is what's going to help you grow. Mm. And one thing that this makes me think of, and, and I just, I actually just talked about this with, with coach Yoakum on one of his podcasts, but I have, I have a sister, um, who is a D1 basketball player over at Miami of Ohio. And we, in the summertime, we'll go and we'll, we'll shoot buckets, you know, I'll rebound for her and kick them out to her and she'll shoot like 90% from the three point arc. It's unreal. And then all of a sudden though, I question and I say like, well, how much better are we getting when we're shooting 90% from three and the ball is, you know, hitting your hip pocket every single time, how much better are we getting? It's synonymous with, how much better are we getting when we're on the practice range in perfect conditions and hitting to this one flag and we have 100 balls here? So like this one specific ball, we're not putting as much pressure on ourselves with this one specific ball because we got 99 left afterwards. And so it's a similar situation. So all of a sudden now, you know, I started implementing, a, I started being a defender to when she is shooting. I started giving her passes in different areas of the body to try and throw her rhythm off. And now she's shooting 70%. And it's like that uncomfortability that that she's experiencing when she's shooting 70%, it's not fun. It's frustrating for her. But at the same time, we need to understand that that true growth is messy. Like true growth mm. is uncomfortable. And so I think, I think that takes along perfectly with exactly what you're t- discussing right now of like we need to look at the practice range and understand that in order to grow – we we got to make it a little messy somehow and i'm not quite sure what that looks like if do you, is there any way that you can think of that we can change like our work on the practice range to more assimilate a round of golf oh my gosh absolutely and this is getting into technical or performance practice this is great um so john rom i know he talks about this he's like i have really trouble with fittings like fitting new clothes because he's like i can't sit on the range because no matter how good you are, you're going to start missing shots. You can't stripe them straight every single time. So he's like, so now I start trying to like mess with my swing and it's like, I'm never going to get it perfect. But if you just sit there and hit the same club over and over, it makes no sense. And it doesn't uh, actually relate to real golf at all. Now, the time that I would want to sit with one club is when I'm making a specific technical change. When I'm like, hey, I want you to feel this to create this ball flight because you're not doing it. So we could sit there and this is in our learning, our technical growth. Like I'm trying to feel this because I haven't been doing it. 
So that's learning. And there's definitely a place for that, you know, but then we get into performance, which is, should be most of our practice. It should be relatable unless we're specifically making a technical change. If not, then we get into performance. So we, we throw five balls down and we aim at that flag. And then we throw five balls down. We aim at that flag. We go through and we grab our driver. We grab three clubs and then we hit our drive, depending on how well our drive is. We give ourselves a constraint of a fairway, you know, that flag to that flag. If we hit our drive pretty good, then we grab our wedge and we pick a flag and we go for it. And then right away, we grab a driver again. And you do that 14 times to, to simulate 14 drivers. Mm-hmm. And be, depending on how well you do, you grab another club. That's getting you actually better. Mm-hmm. Like you are trying to hit a fairway and then you're trying to hit a club to an approach shot, right? We go practice our short game. So maybe I'll grab a bucket of balls and I will try to feel a nippy, like spinny chip shot and I'll just hit 15 in a row. But I'm not too worried about how close it is. I'm trying to get the feel of a spinny chip shot. And then I'll grab, you know, maybe I'll try to hit a more of a running, a low that's going to roll out and, and not spin so much. So I'll grab 15 balls and I'll try to feel a running shot. Then, so that's more of my technical, I'm trying to get a feeling. Now I'll drop 10 balls all around the green in different positions and see how many out of 10 I can get up and down. And then in that time, I'm not really trying to feel anything. I'm just trying to hit the shot. Is this more of a spinny shot or is this more of a running shot? Now hit it and do it. Perform, right? Put yourself in weird situations. Put a couple in the bunker. And that's a great way to actually perform and see if we're getting better. Like that's a way to create some of that situation. Yeah, that's interesting. I'd be curious... As a as a golf coach, and when you're working with your clients, how often, how like if you had to put a percentage on it, how much of your time is spent on the technical side, and how much is spent on the we'll call it the like the performance side, or like the the trying to assimilate a golf round? What like how much time is actually spent on? Let's just say you get you know uh, random random guy like forty years old, like he's hitting like nineties, you know, like kind of in that average range or whatever, and he wants to get better. Well how much of your time are you spending on actually like at the range trying to technically fix something? And how much time are you spending on um, like the performance side, trying to assimilate around a golf, getting true rep- good reps in? Yeah. I would say there's only about three or four people I really spend time with, with the performance side because I see them enough. Mm-hmm. You know, most people you see, you know, three to five times and, mm-hmm. There's just not a lot of time. So we're working more technical, like feeling is what I like to say, getting him a good feeling on the golf course and creating different movement patterns for him because a lot of time there's something significantly off that they're trying to get back, you know, be able to play. Mm -hmm. So most of it is technical. But if I get people, like there's one guy I work with with 10 sessions this year, and that was so good. He he started as, he was shooting 90, you know, low 90s, forget what his handicap was. And the other day he comes into the golf shop, he gives me a big five five, and he goes, I shot 79 today. Big time. And I was just like, boom. He's 50 years old. I mean, he can hit it out there decently, but he is just getting it around awesome. And we've gone through, you know, performance. We've gone through a lot of the mentality, think box, play box, you know, stepping back, thinking about the shot, then going and letting your body free flow in the play box. And we've been through a lot of this, and it's been so fun. So... Unfortunately, with golf, because you know how much time do you actually have to go get lessons, and people don't put a lot of stock in it. But for the people that really care, you can dive into the performance, and that's where I feel like you start to make great changes. That's interesting. Can you go? Can you go a little bit more in depth? What were you just talking about there? With think box, play box. Yeah. What, what, can you go a little in depth? What was that? Yeah. So think box, play box is a Annika Sorenstam, a P and Elson. Um, 
it's, it's kind of their thing. It's, so the think box is if you're approaching a shot, you, come, you step back here, you think, what's the club? Look at my lie. Do I need, what should I hit? What, where's the wind? Where's the elevation? You kind of think, what, what should my flight be here? Um, so that's your think box. You're making those decisions. And that's when you step back behind the ball. Now, once you've committed to this, I grab my seven iron, I'm going to play a little bit of a draw, and I'm going to try to start it at this, you know, the right side of the green here. You've made that decision. Once you get step up to the ball, there's no more thought. You're just you doing competing and being you. We can't sit and think over the ball, and that's when a lot of problems start to happen. So creating a consistency of thinking in the think box and going and just being an athlete, I've already made all my decisions. I'm aiming at the right. I'm just going to swing. I know what I'm doing is their think box, play box. And when you confuse the two is when people start making a lot of bad decisions. Dude, that's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. That is something that can translate to to other sports as well. And I'm just, I'm trying to think back like, like, well, in my time with like football guys, like that's absolutely something that we should translate to other sports. We should say like, when it's time to step back and look at something, that's when we got to think about it. But when we actually enter the environment and we're playing the game, we are, we are, we are trying to explore new movement patterns. It, we can't be thinking like we need to be playing and using our creative side um, and, and trying to come up with new movement solutions. That's, that's awesome. That is really interesting. And, and that's so, and that's such an important thing. It's hard though, because like I said, it, it's, it's when I get on the golf course, I'm on the first tee. I can go through that. I'm going to hit a two iron. I'm going to start it here. I'm going to let it flow, but we're human beings. So now I'm sitting mm-hmm. over and I see the water. I'm like, oh shit, there's a, there's the trees. It's easy to let those thoughts creep in. So that's a big time practice. And then also with putting is a tough one. And I put out the question on Instagram, you know, what do people want to talk about? Mm-hmm. And there's a couple of fun ones, but one, one of my buddies said, Nick Latsky, he was like, how do you differentiate the, the thing between focusing on putting and really being, you know, technically efficient, but then also like letting loose and just putting freely. Mm. Like, cause that's a very, that's a tough one, dude. That's some, that's not you're please help me, help yeah. me because, because I, I am so much on the, on the technical side of things, trying to perfect my stroke. And then all of a sudden all feel gets lost. I mean, we played, we played this weekend and dude, I, I don't know, was it the second hole? I think it might have been the second hole where I sent a, a <laughs> yes. fifteen foot putt, I think twenty feet by the hole. Dude, it just it kept rolling. And I was like, how do I balance feel but also maintain that technical savvy and, and keep a good stroke, you know, so it stays on line and it rolls smooth. Dude, it's that's such a tough and you know, you like you said, we played and I missed you know, three or four, five footers, four footers that just, you just never should miss those. It's, that's a really tough one, man, because here's the thing. It's commitment. The, the last thing when I ever talk about putting, and one thing that's really helped me is the last thing you think about before you stroke a putt is how far do I need to hit this? You always think about distance. So no matter how lined you are, the last thing you need to think about before you roll that putt is how hard do I need to hit this? Because that that distance control controls so much, of, especially on long putting. That's where all the best putters are. They can roll right up next to the hole, right? So, you know, we can try to get our alignment perfect, but that, that would be a huge key that's really helped me is the last thing you think before you roll is what does my tempo need to be? <laughs> but the technical side is I was talking to CG Golf about this for a long time. We were talking uh, commitment to – or uh, we were talking about – you know, how technical are you putting? Because he's more, he's definitely more of a feel putter. He just likes to feel the flow. 
And I like to line up my ball, usually on the shorter putts, you know, 12, 15 feet and in, I'll line it up. Outside of that, I just like to uh, just put it down. But I only have success lining it up when I'm committed to the line, when I actually think I read it right. Mm. So there's a lot of times I'll line it up and I'm guessing like, ooh, this could be half a cup. It could might be a ball out. I don't know. And then I notice a lot of those times I miss that putt because then I just, and then I get over it and I'm kind of guessing still. But like when I get up to a 10 footer, I'm like, oh my God, that's right edge. If I hit this ball right edge, it's going to fall to the left and I'm in every time. I tend to roll those right over the ball and it goes in. You know what I mean? Yeah. So when I like see the line and I'm really, really certain or committed that this is the correct line and I line my ball up there, I feel like I have a lot of success with more of a technical. Like I'm right over that line. I just got to roll it down there to where if I'm undecided on it, then I tend to miss them. So when I'm undecided now, what I've been doing is just not line it up Mm. and just kind of look at the green and try to feel the flow with the stroke. So as you're over top of the ball, you just kind of try and feel and be like, okay, here's what I'm feeling. Like, let's just commit to it and go with it. Yeah, exactly. That is really interesting. I really like, I really like your point about thinking about distance last because that's probably something that me specifically, when I look at my putting game, like, like I very much like, like we played, I try and line up every single putt, but that's really interesting because maybe by simply doing that or making that action of lining it up, I'm taking precious thought away from the distance side of things. You know what I mean? Yep. Like, like when I'm sitting 35 feet away from the hole and I'm trying to line up this putt perfectly, like maybe I'm taking precious thought away from the distance side of things yes. and I should be allocating more of my thought to the distance side as opposed to the, the line. Absolutely, because it's all about pace. On long ones, it's all about pace. You mm-hmm. got to leave it close to the hole. And like, how how exactly perfect are you going to hit it on a line on those? You know. Yeah. So another thing that I've heard people do, and I've kind of I've messed with it, is I have like my I draw a green stripe on my balls. Oh, like right over like the TP five. So right over like this thin titleist line, I'll draw mm-hmm. like a stripe over it. And so when I'm doing my shorter putts, I'll line that one up because it's very precise. But then when I'm doing my long ones, I'll use the tailor-made name. So it's like it's kind of a direction, like just the name of tailor-made or title. It's a little bit fatter, mm-hmm. and it's not perfectly straight. Yeah. But I'll kind of put that in the direction I want to start the ball in, like a 30-footer, mm-hmm. just so I have that, so I don't completely miss a line. But then when I'm rolling the putt, I don't try to get it perfectly over that line. So that's a good way for me to aim like long putts. I can just kind of put it down, but then... I don't really think about it. And it's not as precise. You know, it's just like, this is kind of the direction you want to start it. And then I'm all feel and feel. How yeah. hard feel, feel, feel. Super interesting. Super interesting. I got I to gotta keep rolling it, man. I got to keep working on my putting game for sure. That's, that's a lagging factor for sure. It's a game changer, man. I mean, when I'm putting well, I just switched. I, I rolled the spider for so long. I went to that Nike. Just kind of needed to look at something. But I, it's, it's such a big difference. I mean, that round we played, I, lo- I had to have lost six or seven shots on the putting green compared to normal. Yeah. A question for you. As you, as you were going through this transition to becoming a PGA pro and as you're, you notice your game improving, what, what was kind of the last piece to come around, do you feel? Like, did you feel like you were a pretty good ball striker and it was a short game that was lagging or, or maybe the other way around? Like, like, what were your thoughts there? Oh, man, that's great. Um, All right, we are going to leave you with that for now. And when we come back, I will answer that question and we will continue on here. Um, Carter's the man. Appreciate you all listening today. Um, the next one's coming out shortly. Stay tuned. We're going to dive into more of the fitness aspect. Um, a little bit more golf technical stuff and fitness and, 
you know, how we can better our bodies for this great sport. All right, folks, have an awesome day. Let's go get it. Let's play better golf and we'll see you next time.